Good morning. Um, so excited uh, to give this message today. Where it's week two of great expectations, and Christmas is all about great expectations. Kids have certain expectations. I think we have expectations. Moms and grandmas have expectations. Dads, I don't know if they have expectations. They have expectations. They're different than everybody else's expectations. Um, oh, learn, learning that, all right? But we all, we all have an idea of my mother-in-law has great expectations for the cherry pie every year. Every time she makes a cherry pie, she thinks it's going to be the world's greatest cherry pie ever. Now, they're very good. I enjoy eating them. I've tasted and tested a lot. And I'm willing to volunteer for any of that job for any of you. Uh, if you need a cherry pie tested, I can handle that. But... The first thing out of her mouth when she takes that first bite of that cherry pie, not as mmm or mmm or some other guttural utterance that would come out of mine. It's, oh, I should have put more butter or I should have done this or I needed to cook for five more minutes. Or it's a critique of the thing because the expectations are so lofty, we expect, she expects the cherry pie to be perfect. And maybe some of you are okay. I guarantee you guys, the cherry pie is okay. You can, you can. Lower your expectations a little bit about that. But that's just a, a little microcosm of the great expectations we have at Christmas. We put on these lofty ideas, and some of them they don't even really apply to what, we, what is really important in our lives or even at Christmas. Christmas, I think, for the first Christmas had great expectations all around it as well. The first Christmas has these, these expectations on it. The people are expecting a deliverer. The people of Israel are expecting someone to come and to save them, to pull them out of the misery that they're in. They're under Roman occupation, right? They are under, they're subjects of a ruler that is not their own. They are taxed and told. The whole the Christmas story starts out in Luke 2 by the government saying, you can't be where you're at, you have to go somewhere else. They're refugees in their own land. That'd be like if, if you got a call today and said, well, Jared, you need to go back to Atlanta for Christmas. But I'm here, and the tree's here, and the gift's here, and everything's going on. But no, you got to go back, go back to Atlanta. I don't want to go back to Atlanta. I'm here. Well, too bad. This is what's happening there. Like, nope, get out of here. This is what's always occurring here. They're under... Rule. Is this, we, we read it. We've heard the story. We even watch Charlie Brown happen all the time. But I, my goal for today is to really take you into what's actually happening there at this time. The great expectations are set, and I think even the people have set these great expectations. For we expect someone, we expect an Alexander the Great type person, a David figure, a a Julius Caesar to come in on a horse with a sword and start kicking butt and taking names and deliver us from the Roman oppression. And God has a totally different plan, a better plan, a plan that just blows up that little idea. But on the outside, looking in, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense. God exceeds the expectations in whom he involves. God exceeds expectations in whom he involves. Now, I went back and forth and back and forth on if I was supposed to use who or whom. 
I even rewrote the sentence so I didn't have to put it. If I use the wrong one, I apologize for you grammar Nazis out there. Uh, but I tried really, really hard. God exceeds expectations in whom he involves. This is the story of Christmas. Is If you go through, we're going to go through different characters and different uh, actors in the Christmas narrative and see how he just exceeds all of those expectations. There is the shepherds. In the flocks, watching their flocks outside, there is Mary, there is Joseph, there's the wise men. He exceeds all of these expectations. He takes what they think is going to happen and says, you know what, we're going to change the narrative. We're going to change what this looks like. First one I want to examine is the shepherds today. God uses our shortcomings to exceed our expectations. God uses our shortcomings to exceed our expectations. Often the excuse of God can't use me, God doesn't want to have a relationship with me, God doesn't want to enter my world is I'm too blank. I'm too messed up. I've got this in my past. You don't know what I have. You don't know this. You don't know that. You don't know any of those things about me. God can't use me. I am broken. And if you read the Scripture, if you spend any time with the Scripture at all, he, what he specializes in is taking messed up, broken, weird people and making them integral to his stories. Often you read the scripture and like, God, you could have used somebody else. And here's something I've noticed. The people that have it all together are usually the biggest ones that like mess up God's plan. <laughs> they are. So like, if you want to be used by God, be a screw up and, and then you're good to go. <laughs> that's that's it's an it's a, it's a opening uh, uh, for God to say, you know what? You're messed up, but my story, my authorship can correct all of this and make it beautiful and better than you ever can imagine. So the shepherds, and there were shepherds, verse eight, uh, Luke 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone to the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So what you got here is a bunch of 13, 14-year-old boys out with the sheep. No one wants to be a shepherd, okay? It's night duty, dirty, and you get to be around sheep, right? No one wants this job. So who is going to get that job? 13 to 14-year-old boys, because you won't be able to notice a difference in the smell if they're with the sheep or with not the sheep, and that's how it works, Right? That's who, that's who they are chosen to be shepherds. Actually, probably shepherds are the kids that can't get a job during the day. They're like, I don't want to be a shepherd. I don't want to, oh, I've got to be a shepherd. It's when, you know, the carpenter's not hiring, the innkeeper doesn't need anything done. It's like, oh, I've got to go be a shepherd. Maybe in Kokomo, uh, because of the cornfields, and I imagine here too, a big thing for everyone to do is to detassel. Or to watermelon turn in southern Indiana, right? No one wants to do this job, ever. It's a terrible job. No one wants to do it. There's horror stories of, you know, come back. What'd you do this summer? I do tasseled. The kid's shaking. You know, it's, it's a terrible job. No one wants to do it. It's long, hot, messy work, and snakes jump out of the corn stalks at you. Right? It's just bad. I was fortunate. I got one of the other jobs. I didn't have to go to the detasseling fields. But it's the same kind of thing. Where are you going to put your 14-year-old, 15-year-old boys? Throw them outside. They're going to be up all night being stupid. Let them go be stupid out in the hills, right? We don't have to deal with them. 
This is very smart. But this is who God says, hey, I'm going to bring the king of kings, the ruler of the universe, the creator of all life into this world. Who do I want to be? My welcoming committee? Your stinky, messy, ADD, 13, 14-year-old boy. That's who he chooses. God can do very strange things with very strange people. It's amazing that he takes the least of who is in society and says, you know what? I'm going to choose you to be my welcoming committee. God uses our shortcomings to exceed our expectations. He redeems the story of the shepherds. The very people who are on the lowest of the low of the social ladder. He says, you know what? I'm going to make you the guys who get to say, you're never going to believe this. Shut up. No, you're never going to believe this. You're making up a story. He saw it too, right? You can imagine the, I don't know if God just did that to have fun or what. But like You can see them running into Bethlehem. These angels, they came out of nowhere and they said, oh, and started singing. And What are you talking about, kid? Right? If our kids said that, we're like, you've been, you're not, you're grounded from video games, you know? This is what happens in the scripture, and this is who God chooses. He redeems the lowest of the low to be his heralds, to to tell the world about the birth of Jesus. God exceeds expectations in whom he involves. Second person I want to talk about is Mary. Mary is visited by an angel and says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I. Oh, did I read? I jumped to it. Sorry, Luke 1, 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. God uses impossible circumstances to exceed all expectations. Here is an unwed teenage mom. Mary is probably not much older than the shepherd boy. She's probably 14, 15 years old. And think about all that that entails. Joseph is probably around 30 in his late 20s. And she's probably a 14, 15-year-old girl. One year when I was teaching uh, students, I had, had a 28-year-old volunteer and a 15-year-old girl. And Bowen had just been born. And so I had her hold Bowen and them stand next to each other. And the idea really sunk into everybody. is This is, this is crazy to think about the... How scared would you be as a 14, 15-year-old girl? I'm starting this whole new life with a man I probably don't even know that well. I'm going to be married, whatever that means. And now you're telling me I'm pregnant with the Son of God. He chooses her. I love that her answer is, I can't, it's not, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. But how are you going to work this out, God? Because uh, I love that. I love that. Well, maybe that's why he chose a 14, 15-year-old girl, because they didn't ask any questions like, how is this going to work? That's all they wanted to know. Not that I can't do it. I'm not good enough. But how is this going to work? God uses 
impossible circumstances to exceed all expectations. Joseph. As I think about Joseph, I, he's one of my, like the unsung hero of the Bible to me. People don't talk about him. He gets kind of written off. And he is amazing to me. The fact that this guy is going to be marrying this girl and she tells him she's pregnant. Now that would cause some angst in a relationship. <laughs> See, Jimmy and Kevin are texting each other right now things they want it fixed, and uh, so they need to mute that. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Joseph is a man that has found out found out that his fiance is pregnant and he is not the daddy. You can imagine the angst that that would turn into you. And this interchange here tells us a lot about Joseph's character. This is really, we only get basically these verses about Joseph and just a few more uh, chapter later, but we don't get much about him at all. But you can infer a lot from his life. Matthew 1, 19-21. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. By exposing her to public disgrace means they might choose to put her in the city and everybody pick up rocks and throw them at her until she is dead. So he's being a little classy here. He's like, well, I'm mad. <laughs> But I don't want to do that. I'm just going to divorce her. We'll just she can go live with a cousin or whatever, and I, I just we're going to act like this has never happened. We're going to take care of divorce. Divorce. They're not already married, but when you were engaged, it basically was everything except you're living together. Um, it, you're already starting to join the family together um, in the way they did life then. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "Joseph, son of David." Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God uses impossible circumstances to exceed all of our expectations. Now, as we think about who Jesus becomes and the man that he becomes, you have to wonder how much of that he is God's son, but When he saw another man treat a woman with respect, he saw Joseph. When he saw another man, how can you imagine Joseph's a carpenter? And so there's got to be kids. Where there's carpentry, there's building blocks. And where there's building blocks, there is little kids, right? And so you got to imagine Joseph's place was the place to be so I could go play in the sawdust and go go build something or whatever's going to happen. And so when Jesus calls the little children to himself, and they're all climbing over his lap and probably hanging on his head and just had this beautiful scene in my mind, there's got to be a little bit of Joseph in that. When he elevates a woman who's been hurt or abused or, or taken, um, found in some compromising situations, there's a little bit of Joseph in that to say, you know what, I'm going to treat you with respect. And this is the guy that God says, you know what, you can raise my son. God exceeds our expectations, or God uses impossible circumstances to exceed 
our expectations. He redeems, God is redeeming the story of Mary getting pregnant. He said, yeah, I know what that looks like on the outside. I know how awkward that's going to look. But I'm going to redeem this story to be something even more beautiful than you can ever imagine. Joseph, I know how hard this is, but I'm redeeming the mess that looks like your life right now. Because no one's under stress. No one's hyper vigilant to what's going on when you're getting ready to get married, right? If you can survive getting ready to get married, you can survive marriage. It's just the way it works, right? So you can imagine all the stress that Joseph's got and how he goes through all of that. God redeems it for him. God uses our past to invest in his future. God uses our past to invest in his future. And the character that I want to finish with today is the Magi, the wise men, or the three kings you've been heard. Now, this is a very interesting aspect of the story, they often get overlooked in the script. Or we just go, oh, this is why we have Christmas gifts at Christmas, right? They give really, really weird gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, this is kind of weird. Whatever. Give me gold, a painkiller, and some burial spices. Interesting. Um, you guys really needed a woman involved in this, all right? <laughs> but that's what they give. God uses our past to invest in his future. Pay attention here. You might, if you like history of stuff, you're going to want to take a note or two here. Who are the Magi? The Magi are the wise men from Persia. They are the wise men. They are the court counselors of all things spiritual for the Persian Empire and now for whoever is the ruler of Persia after Rome has conquered uh, most of that area. And this is important because... 500 years before, there's a man named Daniel. Yes, the same Daniel that was thrown into the lion's den. Guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same guys that you probably learned in Sunday school if you got to go to the flannel graph Sunday school. They got thrown in the fiery furnace. This is those guys. And Daniel becomes so important after the whole lion's den experience that he is third in line for the throne. He's basically the speaker of the house for the whole Babylonian and Persian empire. Not for one king, not for two kings, not for three kings, not for four kings, not for five kings, not for six kings, not for... They had some assassination stuff going on here. Seven kings, not for eight kings, not for nine kings, not for ten kings, not for eleven kings, but for thirteen kings and emperor-type people. Do you know how awesome you have to be to stay in power and not get killed when you have a regime change every five years? Right? You, you understand how that... How he, he must have been amazing. Everyone respected Daniel. And why is Daniel over in Babylon? Because the Babylonians had destroyed Israel. This is not just a military conquest. This is not just a they won a battle. But they destroyed Israel and Judea to an extent that the walls of Jerusalem no longer exist. That the temple has been destroyed from brick to brick to brick. That the very religious heart of the Jewish people has been ripped out. The very identity, the whole way in which we worship God. How do we worship God? We offer sacrifices at the temple. The Babylonians said, no, not anymore. Your very identity is destroyed. And so for 500 years, that's all been gone. But Daniel gets transported into Babylon. 
and becomes this advisor, and becomes this wise man, and becomes uh, in charge of all the magi. And later in Daniel's life, he starts giving prophecies. The back half of Daniel is kind of a very interesting read. But he, he starts giving all these prophecies. And some of those prophecies are about the king who will come and will be the star in the east. And so 500 years later, the magi see the star in the east and they go, that crazy dude Daniel, <laughs> he was right about everything. Who is this king that we have to go see? And so that is what propagates this, this movement across the desert. This is why they, they come from, Babylon is a long, this is basically where Baghdad is, is a long way away from Israel. It's not that nice of a drive, right? Especially on Camelback. And they come over to see this king. Here's another really interesting thing. Before you could be king in the Persian Babylonian eyes, the Magi had to visit you and say, this is the king. That because of the history and the trust and the respect they had for Daniel, a slave, probably a eunuch, someone who should have been the least of these and thrown away and discarded, because of the respect and the truth that he he gave and the way he lived his life, these magi 500 years later are willing to say, this kid, this little baby in a manger will be the king of kings. Isn't it crazy how that works? This even goes deeper. At the same time that the Israel, the Jewish people are having their lives and their spirituality destroyed, God sends a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. <clears throat> for, he didn't cough, but that's okay. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now we read that and we think that, but what that's culminating in is Jesus' birth. What they're saying is you are in slavery now. You are enslaved to this other empire. You have no identity of yourself. You don't know who you are anymore, but I have plans for you and a hope for you and a future for you. And that's come into fulfillment at the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Jesus is the, the, I have hope and plans for you, that Jesus is that. And Jesus is that for you. That you may feel that my life has been going off the wrong tracks. I may think that all this stuff and my past is so junky and I've got all these things going on and going wrong in my life. But I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to redeem you. Through Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about. In your life, you may think, I'm too far gone. I don't have any hope. I'm too messy. I'd like to point you to some shepherd boys, to an unwed mother, and a frustrated fiance. To some magi who had no, long, no business actually being there. That God will redeem any situation at any time to have relationship with you. When you say the words in your head, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not talented enough. Those are words from the thief. And Jesus says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I come 
to give life and give abundant life. Now what that means is Jesus is saying, you've got all this stuff in your life and you keep on thinking about it and and letting that crush you. But what Jesus comes is to redeem your story. To take you from where you are to where you can be. We've all got all kinds of sin and junk in our lives that we need to step into Christ this Christmas season. To say, you have come. You really have come. Not just so life can be the same, so that life can be the, the same it's always been, but that you can redeem me and set me on a new path. That's what Christmas is about. That's why Jesus comes, to take our old story and set a new story, redeeming even the, the spirituality and the, the junk of the Jewish past and redeeming the past of ours and making it have a new hope and a new future. That's what Christmas can be for you and it can be for me. I want to pray that this Christmas would be a different kind of Christmas, that we would receive the greatest gift that history has ever known, that creation has ever known, the gift of Jesus Christ into our world to redeem us and to set us free. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for your son to come to this earth to redeem us, to write a a new story. She would set us free. And God, right now, if there's anybody in this room who who wants a fresh start, who wants a new beginning, who wants their story to be rewritten, God, I ask that they would just give their hearts to you today and say, Lord, take my life and make it new. Take this heart and rewrite my story. God, I've been messy. I've got stuff. And I don't know if I actually believe that I can be used by you. Will you show me? Will you speak to me? Will you guide me into a new life? In Jesus' wonderful, beautiful name I pray. Amen.